Okay, do we have a cowboy hat? Do we have a like gong? Do we have that? a percussion the... instrument? We're never going to get this episode started. <laughs> and there's the tag. Church in space. Welcome, everybody, to Church in Space. In 3D! Oh, my God. This is what happens when you have an 11 o'clock start time, I not know. a 1 o'clock. We've thrown off the basic order of the universe. Inject ADD meds straight into everybody's bloodstream today. All right, welcome. I am Pastor Dave. I am the recovering heretic, Dan. All right. And I'm Drew. Drew, and we. this is uh, RELC's podcast. Today's episode, if we ever get there, is Ethical Dilemmas in Science Fiction. So I was thinking about this because I started watching Andromeda because it's free on YouTube, <laughs> all five seasons. Andromeda being Gene Roddenberry's posthumous series. Yeah, uh, right. And it's some really good, you know, despite its piss poor production values. <laughs> 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 um, but it's really good, you know. And uh, but there, I won't go into the episode. But there was this one episode with an actual like a real ethical dilemma involving time travel that like actually made me think. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of got me thinking, like, actually, we should talk about ethical dilemmas in science fiction, because science fiction presents a lot of ethical dilemmas, Mm -hmm. right? Kind of like all, and since this is religion and theology and ethics are all related, and this seems like a topic right up our wheelhouse. Well, this is core, right? This is the very birth of sci-fi. Right. You know, Frankenstein, often considered the novel that began modern Uh sci-fi, is all about an ethical dilemma. Right. So, all right. So we're just going to go through some ethical dilemmas. I think we should just start with what I think is the quintessential for Star Trek fandom ethical dilemma. Yes. Which is Tuvix. Yes. Uh, You know, so there's this, if you don't know, there's this episode of Voyager where Tuvok and Neelix get merged Mm -hmm. into one character. A transporter accident. A Mm -hmm. transporter accident results in them getting merged into one character. Everybody's really excited about this because it means Neelix is gone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It's like universally hated (laughs) in both the ship and the show. (laughs) The Jar Jar Binks of Star Trek. Right. Oh, man. I mean, you're leaving out Crusher. But, (laughs) well, but yeah, but but he is so bad they get rid of him. (laughs) Like Neelix, they keep him on on the the show. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the that's the thing about Crusher is he's he's just as bad, but they at least have the self awareness to write off the show after three seasons or whatever. You know, they figure out a way to undo the transporter accident mm-hmm. in the episode. So the ethical dilemma is Tuvix is his own person, right? In in this episode, does Janeway undo this person to get the two other people back? This kind of gets the ethical dilemma of, like, what is personhood? But it's like, is Janeway murdering this new being in order to return two people, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's either murdering one person or murdering two. Yeah. And I have always been on the Janeway, so my personal thing is Janeway gets prosecuted for murder the moment she gets back into Federation space. Yeah, yeah. But to Drew's point, <laughs> yeah. she'd be prosecuted for murder no matter what decision she makes. See, my argument would be as a prosecutor that the first two people were a legitimate accident, right? Like there was no way accidents happen, you know, but the accident resulted in a new living sentient being. And there's the point right there is yeah. that it's new life and you shouldn't kill the new life. Right. Exactly. And yet, and yet, then she's still guilty of negligent homicide for the other two because yeah. she found a way to save them, but did not use it. Right. 
Either way, she shouldn't be an admiral. She should be in that penal colony in New Zealand that they found. <laughs> <laughs> that they found Tom Barrett's. I side note: I love that New Zealand is a penal colony. <laughs> We've just Federation is just the British Empire returned. <laughs> not Australia. I mean, yeah. like you, you go with New Zealand, not Australia. Yeah. Just make it Australia. They, they play a lot of rugby. Yes. <laughs> And she's like pretty determined by it. Like, as I remember, like the episode, like the doctor won't do it. Like Janeway mm-hmm. actually has to do it herself because like the doctor won't, won't actually. Well, and part of it, yeah. and, and again, this only deepens the ethical dilemma. Mm-hmm. She's making a very subjective decision because Tuvok is her friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wants her friend back. Right. Yeah. And that is tainting her decision on this. Yeah. yeah. But So you're saying that if it was just random two people. That Janeway would not have killed Tuvix. It was just too, like, objectively, mm-hmm. if it was too, like, lower decks ensigns. It's those two ensigns she's like. So Mariner and Boimler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? I don't think she, you know, I do think that's part of it, right? It's, yeah. It's her, it's her two friend, you know, her mm-hmm. best friend and. And she does have a soft spot for Neelix, too. Right. Yeah. She does. Well, obviously. Because <laughs> does he stay on the ship? Yeah. Not get fed to the board or something. He makes good coffee. That's all that counts. I for think, her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But no, I mean, that does. I do think, yes, if it was Boimler and Mariner, I think she would have let the new life come through. Mm-hmm. Part of the Federation credo, right? Yeah. Or Starfleets, anyway, to fix, you know, find new life. Seek out new life and new, new civilizations. Life. Right. right. And this is a new life form mm-hmm. now that has right. been created. And a hyper-competent life form. That's part of it, too. Right. 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 Like, yeah. he takes the best of Tuvok plus the best of Neelix and forms like a like hyper competent officer slash cook. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. like, so you're saying because he was competent because Janeway was friends with Tuvok and an incompetent ensign combination. Definitely. Definitely. Would have made it. Would have made yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's yeah. like, this is where my, my major criticism of Voyager is like, they never actually deal with the fact that they're this lone ship and like the resource shortages that mm-hmm. it would require that it would yeah you know and so like from a just a pure resource perspective you're actually losing something by losing two fix both hyper competent but able at intuition because he's not a not, pure vulcan yeah. right yeah. you know and like so you lose you're actually it's a substantial loss to the overall governing of the crew mm-hmm. to lose this really rare resource hyper competent officers right <laughs> you right. know <laughs> I mean, but also the resource perspective it's one less person it is mm-hmm. one less person right but then maybe harry kim gets promoted <laughs> okay i think we're, we're diverging way too yeah, much no. into voyager Sorry. so i think we should move on to our next topic okay. yeah yeah next topic well we'll do another voyager one quinn committing suicide mm-hmm. right so this is this is the episode where there's the Q who wants to commit suicide because he's bored. Yeah. Right? Because they've they've done everything, they've talked about everything, and he wants to do something new. Yeah. You know. Something that theoretically a Q cannot do. Right. Or shouldn't be able to do yeah. or whatever. No, and that that is and especially the ethical dilemma there, I think if you're talking about pure euthanasia, you can make a more ethical argument, right? Because you've got quality of life issues, you're you know, if someone's in pain and agony. Yeah. yeah. And let's face it, I'm still in civilized society, it's much more of a debate. It happens a lot in war. Um Yeah. That right. and, you know, assisted suicide in mm-hmm. like hospice and in elder yeah. care. Yeah. You I'm... can make an ethical argument for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But can you make an ethical argument for, for simply being tired of living? Right. Like I'm just bored. 
Because in the episode, the question is over, does he have a right to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like that's actually what the trial's over in the episode, as I recall. It's like, yeah. does he have a right to do well, it? Well, and ultimately what they're asking is, do we have the right of overseeing our own lives? It's a broader metaphor. It is. You know, and like my answer to that is typically no. <laughs> you I, know? And I'll have to ask why. Why Why don't we have, why aren't we allowed to have the power over our own lives? Because free will. <laughs> no, because your life never really was yours to begin with. You know? Now, is that an ethical argument or is that a religious argument? Yes. That's where the two diverge. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, this is me. I don't make a distinction. You know, yeah, like yeah. they are. My ethics are my theology. My theology is my ethics. But it's like if you just objectively think about it, right? Like you didn't come into this world of your own volition, you know? Yeah, even like, biologically. Biologically, right? right? Like you didn't come yeah. into it of your own volition. You had no decision making in the process. Like, and actually for most of your life, the part where you needed help to get to this point, right? Like none of it was really by your own. You didn't go to school by your own choice. You didn't, you know, yeah. Lord knows I did it, <laughs> right? Like you didn't learn things, right? Like you didn't eat your vegetables by your own. Most of us didn't, right? Like yeah. there's all these things that actually we belong to others, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like and that's just biologically, like the African Ubuntu concept, right? Like I am because you are. Yeah. That's not even getting into the the theology of it. Our lives don't belong to us, mm-hmm. you know, like theologically speaking, which is really hard because we always want to say in America, they do belong to us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. That's part of what our nation's built on is that right. philosophy. Well, and this gets even, we have to explore this in more depth too, because think about the rise in suicide with tweens and teens mm-hmm. and college students. I yeah. Mean, it has gone super, super way up over the last generation. Look at uh, Japan and the work hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about what about a month ago about developing AI so that their the workload in Japan could be less, mm-hmm. so that it would actually save more people. But this gets into it, you know, what pain and suffering mm-hmm. are relative to the individual, which is why the pain and suffering argument ends up being so like slippery, right? Yeah, it's because like you end up in this really weird debate over like what pain is justified and what pain isn't. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, <laughs> and, and that begs the question and uh-huh. back to who controls your life. That begs the question, uh-huh. who really is best qualified to make that decision? Because yeah. even physiologic pain is relative. Mm-hmm. Look at, Oh, a rugby player that we all happen to know who can yeah. basically walk around, you know, like the black Knight in right. Monty Python. <laughs> it's a mere flesh wound. And other people, you know, stub their toe and they got it. They, they want you to take it to the ER. <laughs> I mean, I know. Being married to a rugby player, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Yes. But, you know, so pain is very relative. Yeah. And who yeah. are we on the outside to mm-hmm. judge how much that individual is suffering? Individually? I, I mean, all you got to do is look at the health points and the awareness. If the awareness is low and the health points are really up there, then you don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Um, Are they a contributing member to the party, right? Do I need this person? (laughs) Tank. (laughs) Okay. um, Before moving on. Or do I have to reload save Scott? So I, I, well, okay, hold on. I have the, bringing a religious aspect into this. Okay. We can either transition. a religious aspect. Okay. If Jesus was Janeway, Mm -hmm. does Jesus. Allow Quinn. Yes. Because not just the two-fix conversation, like Uh at this point. He's a god, and <laughs> in the sense that right. the extra normal powers and everything like that. So right. if Jesus was Janeway, does Jesus allow Quinn to die? There's a hard thing here, because, like, see, my other thing with this is is to the nature of the cube themselves, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, I actually think death is fundamental to being a living being. 
you know, like it's this in real life, it's this like necessary part of existence, mm -hmm. you know, this inescapable part of existence. This gets harder with a Q because the whole theory behind them is that they're eternal, you know, undying beings, yeah. right? You know, and so, so my preferred, if we're imagining this is the Jesus is <laughs> the one for whom is making this decision, my storybook ending with Jesus as this is that Jesus just turns Quinn mortal, you know, and he has mm -hmm. like a full lifespan and then he's allowed to naturally die. That's kind of like my... Although, okay, you're going to be turned yeah. into a whatever age you look like now, and you will live out the way you will live a out, humanoid would. You will live out the way a humanoid would. So you're pulling up a card? Well, I'm pulling a... I was thinking more like, this is what happens and to the to the descendants of Elrond and, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in okay. Lord of the Rings. You know, yeah, like, okay. I get to choose if they're mortal or not. Yeah, That's kind of like my kind of solution to that but that would work that there's a lot of guesswork going on well and even more so <laughs> yeah to, to further deepen our ethical boundary uh -huh. here in this uh -huh. discussion didn't jesus commit suicide he set himself up knowing what it would lead to he, he did not defend himself yeah, in any no, way no that's that wouldn't be suicide. Suicide is killing yourself. Allowing yourself to be killed was would not be suicide. Yeah, be I, would, I would make that right. There's yeah. there's that there's a difference between right being a martyr or however you want yeah. to call um, it. But, but even though he set himself up for it, it wasn't like inescapable. He intentionally set himself up for this to happen. I mean, uh, what's the the captain from uh, the Kelvin timeline? Kirk's father. Um, played by Chris Hemsworth, mm -hmm. that you know saves everybody, knowing he has to die. Yeah, I would, right. Yeah. I wouldn't call that suicide. That, I, yeah, I would make not, that distinction. Yeah. Like okay. you yeah. know, I guess the Bible has like the New Testament has like two things going on that are both in working in parallel. You know, so the, on the one hand, yes, Jesus is very clear. I you know, no one takes my life from me. This is not a process that accidentally happens mm -hmm. to me. On the other hand, it's also clear that Jesus is willingly entering a well-known mechanism that humans do. I would say he's, it's like a, you know, as a soldier going into battle with almost certain odds that they're not going to survive yeah. a suicide, right? Like, like it's the not, charge of the light yeah. brigade, yeah, kamikaze like, fighter. Right. Like it's not yeah. a, well, not even kamikaze, but like if you're going into a near certain defeat in a battle, like is that yeah. suicide? It's like, well, not really, you know, like it's just, it's willingly entering Death, which is a slightly different yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. So, no. Going to transition. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because we were talking about in charge of oneself. Yep. Mm -hmm. Data. Yeah, so this mm -hmm. is right. So data. Is data a living person or not? I think this is a thornier. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Living person is he a living, or is he life a, form? Is he a sentient? Is he a sentient life yes. form entitled to Federation rights? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. which is the premise of... It's also the premise of the season of Picard. It's the premise of Picard. It's the, there's a federate. There's a next gen episode early. It's one of the good early episodes. Um, Which I wish they would have brought the Jag officer back. Yeah, that would have been actually. He was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. And so there's this trial over is Data a life form entitled mm -hmm. to sentient rights under Federation law? You know, and I actually think that's a thornier ethical issue than than legal. Well, it it is legal, but it's also like. Where does that ethical principle end then? Does the ship's computer also call? Right, exactly. Yeah. Like the ship's computer is kind of, you know, there are a couple times where it kind of goes pretty close to sentient. 
Moriarty. The sentience, right. The holog- yeah. like the hologram is one giant sentience accident after another. Yeah. You know, no, like, that's true. And and then in Discovery, the ship's mm-hmm. computer does fully, completely, totally become sentient. Right. Well, I mean, the whole I think you'd have to have a body. Like the, the point where it would stop would mm-hmm. be you have to have a physical you body. Have a physical not, body. I mean, a ship is not a physical body. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a it is a container that holds All right. And uh, so okay. that I holds okay. that distinction. Okay. But yeah. The like a physical humanoid mm-hmm. body, or I'm just throwing this out there. Are mm-hmm. we being biased by insisting it has to have a humanoid type form? No, we are absolutely being biased. That's, That's why it's new life. It's because it is a new form of like if you look at all the aliens, mm-hmm. they're all humanoid ish. This is great line where the Klingons go. The Federation is just a Homo sapiens only club. Yeah, in yes. Star Trek Six. And that, you yes. know? but from an yeah. ethics standpoint, even that. You, know, you look at the Horda, the Medusans, mm-hmm. um, the Organians. I mean, there's so many yeah. aliens that are not humanoid. And then mm-hmm. there's the infamous next gen episode where they find that all the humanoid aliens are really ultimately the seed of this prototype humanoid mm. and they advance so much that they spread their DNA across all these worlds. Yeah. And that's why so many of the Federation members are humanoid. They're all actually descendants of one humanoid race. Yeah. Uh, that's more evolution. Yeah. Things. I just think it, it brings up a lot of like, cause Star Trek has a lot of technology, which like gets really close, you know, like yeah. data's not data's unique in some ways, but like there's a lot of, really close technology they have yeah. and it's kind of yeah. like where do ai now ai like now ai in a body is it a life form or yeah. that or that getting back to voyager that village that they create in that one episode that irish village that they create at what point does the simulation of life become life yeah <laughs> well know? and then get into like we talked about a vessel right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and in some ways we're just defining what the vessel looks like as the distinction because data mm-hmm is in a container that happens to be humanoid, stretch off Trek for a moment. Look at Doctor Who and the doctor's wife when the TARDIS matrix is put into a human body. What was the episode with the Troy's friend? Um, It was a ship. Like, it's a body, but it it has sentience to it. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bajoran, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. um, um, It has a name, too. Yeah, it does. But I'm thinking, that got me thinking about the very premise when we were starting. And I don't remember if it was when we started this episode or started chatting before the mm-hmm. episode, but Andromeda. Yeah. Yeah. The ship. The is, ship does yeah. have a humanoid. ship is sentient. I mean, yeah. it's a... The ship it's, is it's, sentient. It's, it's very clear. It's and a it's sentient. And it's got a humanoid avatar that it can It has occupy. relationships with people, and it is... Yeah. Yeah. So, is that ship ethically... In the Andromeda universe, the answer is clearly yes. Okay. They treat it like every time they happen upon one, it's they treat them like humans. Yeah. You know, like and they 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 attach the same emotional rate to Andromeda as yeah. they do any other member of the crew. And that bounces us back to Troy's thing. Yeah. Just yeah. from another another Roddenberry property. Tin but... Man. <sighs> Tin Man, right? I think it is Tin Man. Yeah. But that, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know we don't have a resolution here, but that that is a major ethical dilemma. And True to the best of sci-fi, it is one that we are going to be facing in reality very shortly. Yes. Yeah. Now, combined not just with AI, but the fact that, what was it, two weeks ago, we actually created totally synthetic human embryo? Yeah, when is the, again, when is the, the simulation of life life? Yeah. You know? yeah. So, uh, you know, they destroyed it because of laws and regulations, but if we let a synthetic embryo actually grow into adulthood... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're back and we're with the synths. 
Yeah. You know, and it, do androids dream of electric sheep? Yeah. Right. Um, was um, it bags of mostly water where it's the... Uh, <laughs> ugly bags of mostly water. It's a, a great description. <laughs> it is. Is. But this is, we are going to be facing this. So yeah. I feel like right now the three of us have to decide. <laughs> okay, we're using this as case law. Really? Yes, exactly. Okay. No uh, one has any rights. I mean, nobody, right. Nobody has any right. That's the answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we are. I mean, it's, we are with, within easily within a decade yeah, facing th- this in reality. Right. I think it's easy to to right to get to the point where simulation is close to the reality. Yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah. Yeah. Um I think we only have one right and hmm. it's to party. <laughs> and we have, have to fight for that right. Yes. We have to fight for that right. I'm I am for whatever other whatever ethical universe is determined by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> um, yes. No sleep till Brooklyn. Um, yes. Skipping to another universe. Hop skipping. Yeah, I know hop skipping. Should Sarah Connor tell John who his father is? Is a bigger ethical little. It's just this line she spouts off at the end of the movie. But like, boy, is there a lot involved in that decision? Uh-huh. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, like. Like you either gotta trust that that he's gonna make the right decision if you don't tell. Like there's a lot of trust either way, right? Yeah. If you tell him, do you burden him with the knowledge that that's his father and he's sending him back to die, but to also create give him life, or do you not tell him and burden him with the <laughs> not knowledge, right? Yeah. You know, like. Well, and if you tell him and he messes things up, then you get that time loop thing. If he doesn't send his dad back mm-hmm. and his dad dies, then Connor's not going to be born. Right. So is he then committing suicide by and, not sending his dad and back? And killing his mother because, yeah, right? Like, it's the whole thing is like... <laughs> yeah. It, it's very deep. But that that ethical dilemma mm-hmm. broadly applies to all time travel stories. Yes. You know, Doctor Who gets around it yeah. by saying that there are fixed points in space and time that cannot be changed because the general course of the universe has to stay the same. Yeah, no. Yeah. N- no, it doesn't. It's just it, – it, it's a cheap cop-out and has definitely gone back and fixed those fixed points. <laughs> but, you know, there are things like – even Stephen Fry wrote a great sci-fi novel of killing Hitler. Mm-hmm. And basically – and this is where the ethics are interesting – The professor that invents it you can't actually send a person back you can't go back yeah but you can establish this tiny little portal and so what they do is they send a drop of poison into the drinking water that makes hitler's mom die now she doesn't die i think it makes her infertile it's something like that where just hitler simply is not born right is is what happens with that but that what happens with the dilemma of that on top of do you have the right to destroy someone who was alive mm-hmm. in the first place? And there were people who were more virulent than Hitler was in their anti-Semitism and their belief mm-hmm. in Nazism. Yeah. And so all that happened was this other guy who was in the wings got more power. Now he just gets more powerful and Nazi Germany was even worse and right. won World War II. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, this is the debate about like, we didn't have this on our list, but that original series episode, City on the Edge of Forever. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like where do you save this person who is actually creates a worldwide peace movement, but then that destroys civilization. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> One of yeah. Joan Collins' better roles, I yeah. must say. Right. Yeah. It's a great episode. But that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time dilemmas are often big, thorny ethical issues. Hugely ethical issues because, mm-hmm. uh, again, of the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. If you change the smallest event in time, in the past, there are people who will not be born who are alive today. Do you have that right 
yeah. to extinguish their existence. Besides the very bad things that happened in World War II, think of the advancements of human beings of what happened in the next 20 years mm-hmm. after World War II with, you know, going from flying in airplanes to going to the moon. Yeah. I mean, if you think about as human beings, how much we evolved technologically from World War II mm-hmm. and how much our life expectancy has grown since then. Like, is it ethical to basically kill all the other people afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that is, again, a broader ethical dilemma. Many of our biggest medical advances happen as a direct result of war, as a mm-hmm. direct result of doctors trying to figure out how to keep people alive when they've been wounded yeah. severely. And that has led to huge, huge medical advancements. Yep. So how many people were saved because of our violence? Yeah, at a certain level with some of these things, you get just got to be like, Bonhoeffer does this whole thing in his book, Ethics, on like, this is why you can't get caught thinking in right and wrong mm-hmm. as like your your standard, you know, because like you just get you get caught trying to determine knowledge you don't actually have, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. like Bonhoeffer says, anytime we, we try, we start evaluating things as just right or wrong, we're redoing Adam and Eve's mistake of mm-hmm. grabbing the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you know, because mm-hmm. it requires this comprehensive knowledge like we just don't have of what is good and what is evil you know but i think humans cannot have there's so many variables well right and that's his point it's like like the the snake's actually lying in the story in genesis oh you'll be able to know good from evil it's like actually the devil's a liar you know (laughs) like like like, that's actually not true we get this really incomplete knowledge Mm -hmm. you know that just puts us in this pretty miserable place. That's just enough to make us judgmental. Right. Just, it is. It's just enough to make us think we're gods, but we're not actually. <laughs> That's... Yeah. Which gets us to the Star Trek episode, Whom Gods Destroy. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> Can we move past Star Trek for a second? Well, so let's get right. Let's yeah. get to another universe. Okay. Um, I've been watching Star Wars Rebels, and I just got through a Saw Gerrera episode. So mm-hmm. Saw Gerrera is a living, walking ethical dilemma, right? You know, yes. I mean, yeah. and I, so we'll call it the Saw Gerrera dilemma of how far do you fight? How far do you give in to your worst principles in order to fight evil? Yeah. Right. Is this like, the one where they, they burrow down? They're in the tunnels on the... No, it's okay. it was the one where... Uh, I mean, you could just... On, anytime with Saw Gerrera. Yeah, I mean, anytime yeah, with Saw Gerrera. Like, like, this particular it, one... Andor, where he's like, oh yeah, those guys are just going off and they're all going to die. Right. right? Yeah. Like, this like one was anytime. the one where he gets... Ezra Sabine to go with him at the oh, rate to find the kyber crystal. Yeah. yeah. And like Saw's like, I'm just gonna blow up all these people, you know? And <laughs> and yeah. from a certain perspective, like I get Saw's point. You've got to do what you gotta do to like, you know, to win this fight, right? Yeah. Like the Emperor's not the Empire's not gonna lie down. I mean, it's the end do the ends justify the means. Yeah, right. You know, and my typical answer to that is no, but like it's hard to tell people in the moment that. You yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, wartime versus peacetime is completely different. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Sagarera doesn't have a soul or he has compromised his soul enough that he just doesn't care. Yeah. Like yeah. stuff like that weighs heavier on some people than others. Yeah. But like, it's believable, especially in, in that particular episode, it's being painted as like Saw versus Mon Mothma who seems almost reluctant to do anything mm-hmm. you know and it's like it's like well if those are my choices sometimes saw seems better <laughs> yeah. you know but it's it's hard it's hard to tell the ezra bridgers you gotta wait 
this isn't the way we do it and doing it this way won't get us very far. And that's where it gets hard, right? Even yeah. even in everyday life, how many times have you made a snap decision that in the moment right. seemed like absolutely the only course that you really should take mm -hmm. and afterward you regret it? <laughs> yeah. 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 So next on my list is Thanos, and I'm just going to say this. Thanos is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This was supposed to be the opening. I forgot. Yeah. Thanos is an idiot. <laughs> hey, Thanos is an idiot. Next topic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. All right. Well, we need to explain the ethical okay. dilemma for Do we? the yeah. audience at home. Yeah. In, in, Not everybody has seen all the Avengers movies. In the Avengers movies, Thanos' main thing is that he he thinks life is going to spiral out of control with continual growth. We're talking movie. Yeah, Thanos. right, right. 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 And I'm talking Not comic. Right, Thanos. I'm talking movie. Thanos. That's why I wanted that. Right. Yes. Yeah. His solution to this problem is to blink out half of all life in order to create perfect balance and everybody will be more prosperous. And he kind of goes through this. He's like, oh, that world I committed half a genocide on is a paradise now, you know, yeah. and, and resources. Right. And, the, and resources. And I just got to say, this is all based from a philosopher named Malthus. You know, Malthusian logic is just stupid. <laughs> like, we have been predicting that we're going to run out of food every decade. You know, what it doesn't, what it forgets is that human beings innovate, yeah. you know, and like yeah. living creatures innovate, right? So like... Church math. Church math, yeah. right? You know, so it's like, we're going to run out of food. Well, it turns out we had the Green Revolution and we invented whole new strains of of material yeah. to, you know, get food and... Well, and the actual, when you actually analyze, again, getting back to, we don't think holistically, we, mm -hmm. we have trouble seeing the big picture and all the variables. Right. The real issue, as far as food resources go... Is waste. Is waste. Right. Mm -hmm. We waste actually... so much. We have more than enough capacity to feed any much bigger population right. of humans. But we have so much waste in the way that we distribute right. that food. And even like resources that are, aren't great, but like, you know, like oil mm -hmm. is a great example. Every, you know, peak oil was supposed to happen like 20 years ago. But what happened? We invented fracking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so like the Texas oil industry is booming again. America is now the large, single, is one of the largest oil producers in the world again. You know, like after we were supposed to hit peak oil. Yeah. And get, don't get me wrong, I, we should all walk and use electric cars and ride know, our bikes. Ride our bikes yes. and global warming is happening, you know, but mm -hmm. that's with a, a not great resource, you know? Yeah. And, and it's just that kind of logic that there will be a shortage. And so we must call the yeah. population or something else, you well, know. At work, we call it's the philosophy of abundance versus yeah. the philosophy of scarcity. Yeah. And and we do, even even on an energy factor, right? Mm -hmm. We're looking at fossil fuels, which are finite. There's no question. Right. Yeah, you know, we are discovering new ways to s extract them. Yeah. But there's still only so much. We will run out at some point. Right. But we've got other alternatives. Right. We, we have The sun is mm -hmm. going to way outlive us, mm -hmm. and we haven't even begun to harness its power. Um, right. Same with wind energy. You know, we just, there's so much more we can do with what we are now calling green renewables mm -hmm. that can more than adequately replace the fossil fuels. We're just continuing to develop the technology mm -hmm. to make it practical. And those kinds of decisions of just saying, ah, you know, energy crisis. Well, that's because you're only looking at fossil fuels. Yeah. You know, yeah. so look at the bigger picture. And an abundance philosophy makes a lot more sense as it does if you look back on human history. Right. Right. Like you said, we're 
incredibly innovative where right. we need to be. Yeah. Humans are pretty determined, you know? I mean, ever since we decided to crawl out of that cave. Yeah. <laughs> Look I mean, on the other side of the horizon. I think We're... Malthus was just the Eeyore of the philo- philosopher's side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Thanos is an idiot. That's that's my Movie Thanos. That. Movie Thanos. Movie Thanos. I mean, Movie Thanos. comic book Thanos, it makes more way more sense. It does. Well, because comic book Thanos sees death as his lover. Yes. Right. yes. So, I got comic... to impress her. I got to kill as many people as possible. Yeah. She'll love me for that. Right. That's way more. And that's way more compelling of a storyline I wish they would have done. But moving on. Moving on. All right, another universe. Um, I call this the is Cypher right dilemma, you know, oh, from The Matrix. Yeah. So if you remember the first Matrix movie, Cypher betrays, spoiler alert for a movie from 20 years ago. For <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, your ears. You're right. Uh, Cypher's working with the agents, right? And and he's, he has this dialogue with Trinity where he goes, uh, I think the Matrix is more real, you know, than the than the real world. And his pitch is, is that the real world is objectively miserable, mm-hmm. right? You know, and he's yeah. not wrong, right? Yeah. And he's not wrong, right? Like, it, especially in their world, it's this post apocalyptic hellscape. It's objectively miserable, mm-hmm. you know, like all these things, right? And, and so his pitch is, it's better to be in the Matrix than to bring people out. You know, and that creates, I think, an interesting ethical dilemma. Like, is it ethical for the human resistance to actually be liberating all these people? Mm-hmm. You know, like when, in fact, it's actually revealed that like a lot of people choose would prefer to choose to be in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the ethical decision there? Is it ethical to make them face reality or is it do you leave them there? You know, and that gets to the very nature of what is reality, because we yeah. know we know that no two of us perceive reality the same way i don't perceive any reality (laughs) (laughs) i just make it up as i go along our perception of reality is so subjective which is why i only dabble in it you know it's like i I know it's (laughs) yeah it's all subjective so why bother yeah yeah i mean it's a hard you know i don't think he's right kind of in the end you know but to get there you've got to say like freedom is worth something yeah right like that the determined you know that and not everybody believes that, even yeah. in, in even in what we are now calling reality. Right. <laughs> not every cultural group on the planet believes that yeah. it is. Right. And like yeah. I, I believe it is, but like to that's the way you get there, you know, yeah. because otherwise if you just evaluate it on like a material status, like, mm-hmm. you know, then then it doesn't work, you know. But I, I do think I think both reality and liberty are, are worth something, you know. But you're right. That's like a those are a priori assertions you've yeah, got yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, into a universe which uh, the second movie is coming out soon. God bless. Dune and the Golden Path. So if you've not read the Dune books, the Paul and his son Leto can see the future. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but in the story, both Paul and his son see this looming crisis. Like, they can see the future, like, thousands of years into the future, mm-hmm. you know, and they see this looming crisis, and there's this problem that humanity faces, which is control and stagnation, basically, mm-hmm. is kind of how the book puts it. And so the solution to it in the books is something called the golden path, which is to make humanity so intensely miserable for so long that they refuse to be controlled, sedentary, you know, mm-hmm. at all for, you know, uh, and Paul refuses to do it. And his son, this is why he becomes a sandworm and lives for thousands of years is 
because he intentionally in- enforces this autocratic miserableness on humanity in order to force them to never be stagnant or accept domination ever again. Yeah. You know, and there's a whole—it's almost the reverse of the time. You know, instead of affecting the past, do you? What do you do in the present? Because you know what the future is. Mm-hmm. You know, back to the means and the ends. Yeah. Question mm-hmm. again, which also, again, pulling it back into Star Trek, also mm-hmm. reflects the whole Pike. Yeah, conundrum, yeah. which is on the list. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, right? Well, which is an okay answer. Yeah, yeah, it's an okay answer, right? Like I I tend to think I personally would have followed Paul and just walked off into the desert. <laughs> you know, because that's what Paul does. Paul's solution to this problem is to like just walk off to the desert and become a monk. Like that yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. my <laughs> answer to the problem, you know. But yeah, it's yeah. A hard. And see, and I'm the Dune example, the Golden Path, mm-hmm. is a much harder one than my normal. My view is, you know, I'm more of an activist. I'm more of a, if you know a problem is coming, right? try to fix it. Don't, mm-hmm. you want to reduce suffering. You know? But is the, but if the solution is so much more suffering, you know? Right, like that's, that's, that's where the Dune issue is much more of a quandary. Right, it's know? like it's thousands of years of suffering, yeah. you know, like. And that, in that case... Yeah, I don't know. I don't, know I, I don't think I would walk off into the desert and just ignore it. Right. But I understand Paul's response. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> Obi-Wan and Anakin. Like Obi-Wan can see what what Anakin's becoming mm-hmm. and chooses to go off into the desert. Yeah. I mean, right, you know, there's is it right for Obi-Wan to ignore Anakin, the whole Anakin Padme thing? It is clear from like if you listen to the deleted scenes from star wars episode three and if you watch the clone wars that like obi-wan knows yeah you know yeah and ahsoka knows ahsoka knows and actually like <laughs> if you, the galaxy's worst kept scene right yeah, if yeah. you had two eyeballs you should know right like <laughs> okay hold on three PO wouldn't know though yeah well <laughs> i think three PO wouldn't know three PO wouldn't r2d2 would, know. would be would right. definitely <laughs> r2d2 definitely knows you know like like everybody knows and and the solution Obi-Wan comes to is to turn away mm-hmm. because to kind of like turn a blind eye because it makes his friend happy. Like this is my friend, I want him to be happy, you mm-hmm. know. Okay. Uh and so there's a huge question about like is it right for him? You know, the rules are clear, right? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to form attachments like this, right? No passion whatsoever. No passions, cause... right? Like and Obi-Wan himself has lived up into that. You know, he's tried to. At he's least. tried to. Well, Again, yeah. if you look at Clone Wars, yeah, yeah, the whole thing with Mandalore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he tried, right? He, yeah, he made the effort. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not saying you have to do it succeed 100 percent of the time, but yeah. but Obi Wan has tried, yeah. you know, to yeah. live into that rule, right? And and it's also very clear that this attachment is actually the driving. It's actually one of the things I thought Episode did well, three did well, right? That like this attachment is what Palpatine uses to twist mm-hmm. Anakin around himself, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's this this attachment is the very thing that turns him in the end. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yes. I can save her. Love. I can save her. Him. Well, in episode two, this is the only redeeming thing about episode two is Padme has this whole speech about, you know, we'd be basing it all on a lie and the lie would consume us, is what she says in the oh, Clone yeah, Wars. that's right. Right? It's the only good part. <laughs> and then she totally ignores it. But, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. I just, I love the... I don't know, is it a dichotomy, paradox? I don't Mm -hmm. know. But the fact that it is ultimately, Mm -hmm. it is love 
that turns Anakin evil. It's yes. manipulated by the well, Emperor, uh, well, by Palpatine, but if that love wasn't there, he wouldn't have the wedge to create Darth Vader. Yeah. No, it's the fear. It's not the love. Right. It's the fear of losing the love. Yeah. You know, it's the so fear. The, and that's... That's the Yoda point, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Fear yeah. leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Yeah. Hate leads it's, to suffering. It's the fear of... Suffering leads to an ongoing franchise that will last forever. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Filoni. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's also the point because... Mm. And that's why I, I think the Jedi um, don't, like, have that philosophy is because mm. when you have fear of loss of attachment, that's when you can make mistakes or choose the dark side like yeah. i think they mention yeah. it about with like ahsoka like mm-hmm. there was some time like she got kidnapped or something like that and anakin's about to like get on a star destroyer and just go freaking you know rain down hell right. but obi-wan's like no you can't you can't you have to deal with this you have to be able right. to detach yeah. yourself from the situation right so excellent think, point excellent yeah. point i think there's like a there's a fascinating universe alternative universe in star wars where obi-wan like ixnays this whole thing (laughs) you know or or at least he challenges it from the very beginning right where he goes like yeah i know you're married and that's bad (laughs) you should just leave the order if that's like what you want to do right Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) here's a better question because we touched on this Mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago is if qui-gon didn't die Mm -hmm. would anakin and padme ever get together so I mean, he still had his original master. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think I. I don't know if they would. I think Qui Gon would have been able to. Because Qui Gon had a much more flexible, Radical. flexible relationship with the rules. Let's say, and not, you know? and, not, and not just that he had flexible relationship with the rules. Uh-huh. He was more of a father figure to Anakin, whereas Obi Wan was more of a brother figure. Right. You were my brother, Anakin. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think. Yeah, I tend to think Qui-Gon could have been able to, like, look at him and be like, both be like, okay, you can make that mistake, but it's going to be a mistake mm-hmm. kind of thing. You and know? Like, yeah, and mind. be able to warn yeah. him in very practical terms, right. not just as generic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think Qui-Gon would have been better at it, mm-hmm. which is the whole point of the series. Right. Yeah. You know, like, Qui-Gon would have been better at it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, well, you would have thought that you know Obi Wan would have shared a little bit more about his experiences with Satine. Well, there's a whole thing there. Yeah. And you would have thought, um, but it also wasn't written until the I know. Six <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, back into that looking into the future. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there is a whole lesson on like Obi Wan is for all that he's an awesome guy, he's also kind of a failed teacher, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, it's actually why I, I didn't object to like the new trilogies thing about uh, Luke being a failed teacher, you know, I'm like, well, this is kind of a series of stories about failed teachers, right? Like, Obi-Wan was a failed teacher of Anakin, (laughs) Luke's a failed teacher of Adam Driver's character, you know, like, they're all kind of, like, it's this series of failed teachers, Hmm. and the question is, does can good overcome bad teaching? Bad teaching, right? (laughs) Like, which the answer is yes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and here I was I was buying into all the bunk that it was a Skywalker family story. No. It's definitely not. No. Yeah, it's when you look at it that way. I mean, it is. It, is a, it is a Skywalker family story, but it's also yeah. a story of, like... The Skywalker's bad teachers. Right, <laughs> yeah. right, that these Skywalkers keep running into, you know, failed teaching. What right? if Duncan Idaho was a really rotten teacher? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, what if Duncan and Gurney sucked at teaching? You know, <laughs> what happens to Paul? So... All right. On that note, we have solved no ethical dilemmas, as we never do. Whatsoever. Uh, You have just wasted nearly an hour of your time. Right. Wrestling with... (laughs) But 
go out and wrestle with some other ethical dilemmas mm-hmm. in the name of Church in Space. In 3D! See you, folks. But that was smooth. We're done. Like, no, that's like ends. Like, there's <laughs> nothing that we can do to add to that. That was just... Oof. We actually transitioned really well, we too. It's like we're learning something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm turning that off.